This is an AMI podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Connecting Disability on AMI Audio. I'm Megan Gilmore, and I'm so happy to spend this time with you today. We're recording this right in the middle of June graduation season, so we're going to spend some time talking about how disability connects to the job search and the world of employment. Our guest is Jack McCormick. He's won awards for his volunteer work helping people with visual impairments connect to the workforce, and he's also manager of human resources at Microsoft. He joins me to talk about how disability influences the job search, and we also talk about some traditions at our alma mater. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Jack. Thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So I first heard about you through a Government of Ontario press release uh, talking about the Ontario uh, Medals for Volunteers. You were a 2019 recipient, so the Ontario Medal for Young Volunteers. Like, what was that like for you? Honestly, it was uh, quite a surprise. Uh, you know, I've volunteered for a long time, and it's something that's really important to me. And uh, I've never done it to get recognized. And, uh, you know, it felt really nice to to receive that recognition. Does somebody else nominate you or do you have to nominate yourself? How does that work? Yeah, I was nominated by uh, an organization that I've done quite a bit of volunteer work with uh, called Fighting Blindness Canada. For you, I know there was a bit of a delay. These are the 2019 recipients. And then because of the pandemic, there was a delay in actually people being recognized. So is there any sort of formal ceremony or anything that they make you go to? Yeah, so there there was a formal ceremony that uh, happened, uh, again, with the pandemic and delays and things like that. Uh, It it happened virtually. And I actually, as of recording this right now, I received my physical medal yesterday in the mail. Oh, okay. So where are you going to keep it? That's what they ask all the Olympians and Paralympians. So where are you going to keep your medal? I haven't decided yet. I was thinking like somewhere on my desk probably, but I don't know for sure. Okay. One of the reasons why we brought you on is actually just to talk more about volunteering and particularly volunteering within the vision loss community. So how did you get started with volunteering? I would really credit my parents for getting started with volunteering. They are individuals who volunteered in my community, I grew up in a small town called Tilsonburg, uh, for as long as I can remember. My dad was always my soccer coach. My mom volunteered at the school. My dad was on the board of directors for our local soccer club. My mom on the board for an art society in our hometown. And so there are people who just always give back to the community. And I saw as a child, I think, what value they got from it and the connections they formed and and how they were better connected with the community. And so it's just something I've always felt was important to do to give back to a community that gives me a lot. Why particularly volunteer with organizations that are associated with vision loss and blindness? Yeah, so uh, I myself have a a degenerative eye condition. Um, I've always had impaired vision and it's uh, gotten worse as I've gotten older. And so one of the main areas that I volunteer in right now with Fighting Blindness Canada, with CNIB, with other organizations that I'm involved with, is 
really about looking at, you know, how can I create environments in my community where people like me don't have to experience some of the same challenges that I have. And my particular passion in that area is really focused on employment because I think that everyone, regardless of their disability status or not, you know, every person deserves to work in an occupation that they find enjoyable, that they want to do. And so I really work to uh, empower individuals with disabilities and sight loss to be able to be ready for the workforce and create employers that are accepting of that. Did you ever have any hesitancy around having your volunteer work be so closely connected with your disability? You know, it's, it's a good question. And I know that I, when I was starting out in my career path, I was a little bit concerned that when I put my volunteer work on my resume, that employers would see that, oh, this guy volunteers with sight loss and disability organizations. Maybe he has a disability and we're not going to hire him because of that. That was definitely a fear I had. And has that happened to me? I don't know. But I know that for the most part, by uh, celebrating and and putting those things on my resume and and being able to speak to the volunteer work I've done, it's been of a huge benefit for my uh, professional development as well, because the skills are so transferable. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, it's kind of both and, right? Like it could go either way. Yeah, it either helps you a whole bunch or uh, does the exact opposite. No in between. Right now, you work in human resources, correct? Correct. With a with a little company called Microsoft. Like I, yes. ho- I, ho- I hope I hope they make it. You know. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Me too. Yeah. Quite like working. Quite like working there. Human resources, I think, for a lot of us, is kind of like this big black box that's unknown in how companies work. And you might meet your HR rep like a couple times, but. You usually don't really know what they do. So for those of us who don't work in human resources, just demystify it for us. Like what, what does it mean? What, what do you practically do? Yeah, human resources means a lot of different things. Microsoft's mission statement is to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. And so within my role in human resources, my job is to empower the people who empower the planet. My specific area of HR is really focused on uh, performance and growth of employees. So I'm working with managers and leaders to figure out, you know, how can your team be more effective? How can the individuals on your teams uh, succeed? How can we help you uh, be more effective? And then I also work with leaders to help them become more effective uh, managers and, and lead their teams more effectively. And then I also deal with the unfortunate and challenging situations where if someone's not succeeding in their role, how do we help them either improve? Improve or help them uh, find other opportunities. So, how like, do you have a philosophy that you bring to it? Like, how would what's your mindset when you're working with teams or working through leadership development? I base everything I do on how can I create environments that help the people that will benefit from the changes I'm implementing. How can I create environments where they can thrive? And so, there's there's lots of ways we look at it, but. Uh, it's really based on how do we, how do I as a human resources professional work with leaders to create environments where people can thrive? And how did you get interested in this? Like when you were a little kid running around Tilsonburg, were you like, oh, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to work in human resources? Oh, absolutely. That's exactly what I did. I was a very weird kid. No, not at all. Not at all. Bit of a story for you. So as a kid, 
Um, one of my favorite shows, and like maybe I was a weird kid because this was one of my favorite shows, but I really liked the TV show Dragon's Den. And I loved hearing about the different business ideas people had and seeing the dragons react to these business ideas. And so uh, pretty quickly, uh, you know, in high school decided, yeah, I want to go to business school. Didn't really know what exactly I wanted to do with business school. I knew that I found like the strategy side of business and solving problems to be super interesting. So I, I went to uh, Wilfrid Laurier University and I studied business. And in that program, I was very fortunate to be able to explore many different areas of business, finance, marketing, human resources, operations, the list goes on. And it's funny enough, I actually really did not enjoy my first human resources class. It felt very theoretical and not very practical to me. And I had no interest in human resources after taking that first class. Thankfully, I had to take a second one. And the, what really set this second human resources class apart is it was taught by a past human resources executive. In her, in her prior career, she was a human resources executive. So what she brought to the classroom was so real. And I, was, I, I found this opportunity to connect my passion for empowering and supporting people with my interest in you know, the strategy of business and how can I create environments where you know, people can thrive, where people can be empowered to achieve more, but also uh, contribute to the strategy of the business and help the business do better. And that's really what I'm able to do in my current role, which I love doing. When I think about business, I just see numbers and flowcharts um, and spreadsheets. And because I have a fear of spreadsheets, that doesn't make me want to like dive into business. But it sounds like what you're saying is with human resources, that's really the people side of this, where you're connecting, working with people to producing a product that works well. Yeah, you're using that data, those flow sheets, those, you know, awful spreadsheets that you mentioned. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm saying that uh, in a joking way. Uh, but using though that information to inform your decisions and inform the activities you do to create these environments. One of the things that you alluded to at the beginning when we're talking about volunteer work is the fact that many working age Canadians with disabilities are either unemployed or underemployed. When did you become aware that that is the reality for many working age disabled Canadians? Yeah, it's something I learned younger than I would have liked to, if I'm being honest. I've always been quite a motivated person and, uh, you know, wanting to get the most from life and my experiences. And so, you know, from a young age, I wanted to work. My first job ever was uh, delivering newspapers in my neighborhood. Eventually, you know, got too old for that in some senses. And I was looking for a summer job. Uh, one of my first job interviews, I happened to know one of the interviewers and I got to the location of the interview and I was kind of hesitating to go through the uh, door into the interview room. And it was, it was this big glass door. And I was trying to look in and see if there was anyone in there. I didn't want to interrupt a prior interview. And eventually I noticed, okay, there's just one person in there. I'm not going to be interrupting the interview. So I go, I walked in. And the first thing the interviewer said to me, again, someone I knew from volunteer work I have done, she said, what, didn't you see the bright orange shirt I was wearing? And I knew then I wasn't going to get the job. Oh. And I didn't. And so from that moment, it the stats that I knew about that 
people with disabilities are severely underemployed just became so real for me. And I knew then that I wanted to make a difference. I didn't know how or when, but I knew that it was something that I needed to do in my life. And for a long time, my greatest fear was that I wouldn't be able to get that first job because if I can't get employment experience somewhere, how can I then take that experience to get a better job later on? And so thankfully, uh, slightly later, I was able to find uh, my first job working in a provincial park where they were very accepting of my disability and gave me every opportunity to succeed in that role. And it was a fantastic opportunity. Wow. That first job interview story reminds me of mine. So like you, my first job was delivering papers and or penny saver flyers, which I <clears throat> stayed at for an embarrassingly long time. Um, uh, like I was 16. And then I was like, you know, I need I need to move on from Penny Saver. Uh, I called the manager to give them my notice, and she said that I'd been with Penny Saver longer than she had. Um, I don't know if that, yeah, I don't, like, I, like, do you get an award for that? Like, I don't, I don't even know if that's a good thing. But I'd been volunteering at the local library, and they uh, needed somebody to shelve books, and this was like my dream job, Jack. I was like, I get to like shelf books in the library. This is the best. And I had. I guess I'd, I'd mentioned in the interview that I had a visual impairment, but it would be fine because I had previous library experience from my small church library that I volunteered at, and I was the runner-up for that position. But that stuck with me. Like, as, as a 15, 16-year-old, was, there was always this open question of, like, do we mention this thing? Like, do we not? So you mentioned that for you, this experience really motivated you to try to make a change and allow other people opportunities to find employment. What are some of the things that you did to, uh, or are still doing, to create those experiences for others? I, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of have a lot of really unique volunteer experiences to be able to make a difference in this environment. I volunteer on uh, CNIB's board for Ontario and Quebec, where I'm able to get involved with a lot of the programs they do and help build relationships with employers for their come to work program to create more employers that are aware of uh, vision loss and uh, disability uh, so that they become more inclusive. I also helped to uh, found a program with Fighting Blindness Canada uh, it's called the National Young Leaders Program, where it's a program to uh, help it teach young people with sight loss who are, you know, in, in school, help them develop employment skills, but also help them build connections with other people uh, who are in similar experiences to them. So that they've got a network to support them when they go through challenging experiences like that. And so that they know that they can do it if they keep pushing. And so I want to create opportunities where people with sight loss have networks to support them, aren't alone, and know that they can do it. And uh, so that maybe they don't have to go through some of the things that I've went through alone and in an ideal world, don't have to go through those experiences at all. Yeah, it's a difficult, I know in my life, it's been a difficult thing to try to explain to my non-disabled peers, which is most of my peers, that, oh, this is actually a consideration when I'm applying for jobs. It's actually a big part of the interview process is figuring out how we're going to talk about this. It is. It's a really isolating thing to try to explain to people. Yeah, absolutely. Job interviews are tough for anyone. Adding that layer of complexity just makes it that much more challenging. Obviously, you're employed, you're in human resources, so you're helping people do their jobs and helping other people help others succeed. So now that you're in this role, 
How do you feel about these conversations about underemployment and unemployment among Canadians with disabilities? Like, what would you say now that you've been on both sides of it? What actually are the biggest barriers to employment? I don't have a short answer to that question, but I'll, I'll try and give you a good answer. I think one of the biggest problems we see within the accessible employment space is a lot of the people who have disabilities and are employed are employed in accessibility roles. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. Those are important roles for people to play in society and they make a huge difference. But what I think we need to see to see real change where everyone becomes more accepting, where processes and organizations and, and thoughts and organizations become more inclusive and become more accessible is we need with people with disabilities in every single role in organizations because people with disabilities can do every single role in every single organization. And so most of the time, I'm the first person with a disability that my colleagues have worked with. And that's a problem because they don't know how the things to be thinking of. And as a result, I run into more accessibility barriers because these people haven't been trained on the simple accessibility things that they need to keep in mind to create an environment where I can succeed and where I can do my best work. And so I firmly believe that by having people with disabilities in every single role and every single organization, that we will create inherently more inclusive uh, organizations where everyone can be successful. And I think that by having that, we will have less accessibility barriers for people like me to experience. What are some of the most common things you find yourself teaching fellow employees? In terms of accessibility, mm -hmm. I think, let's be honest, with technology, creating an accessible environment for me is pretty simple for the most part, especially in a virtual environment, right? And so just because it's simple doesn't mean it happens. Mm -hmm. And so I, I often have people ask me like, oh, hi, Jack, how do, how do I know you're visually impaired? You've shared that with me, but how do I make sure that I am creating an accessible and inclusive environment for you. It's, it's really uh, the same things I keep telling people, right? Like you need to make sure that the documents you're creating are in an accessible format. Are you running the accessibility checker? You know, all Microsoft products have accessibility checkers built in. I, my screen reader can't read a screenshot. If you take a picture of your screen, my screen reader is just going to call that picture number one. And I don't know what's in picture number one, so you're going to have to tell me. And then in, in person environments, things like, you know, telling me who's speaking instead of just saying, hi, Jack, say, hey, Jack, it's so-and-so because it's hard for me to remember every single voice I've been exposed to. And, you know, people I speak to every day, I know what their right. voices sound like. Yeah. But if it's someone I've talked to, you know, five or 10 times and it's spread out over a year, that's hard for me to do. And then I'm, I'm spending so much time trying to figure out who I'm talking to that I'm not able to meaningfully engage in the conversation. So those are the main things. And I think if, if, for me, at least, if uh, people consistently did those things, it would make my life a whole lot easier. There's a lot of talk among the whole disability employment conversation about if a disability in and of itself gives employees or potential employees inherent strengths and benefits over their non-disabled colleagues. Are there certain ways that you think your experiences with your disability have helped you in a human resources role create environments that are beneficial for all workers? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I come at this question from two sides. The first side is I think oftentimes when people say that, when people who don't have disabilities say that, the only way they're looking at, looking at that from is they're saying, oh, 
This person can do their job and they can also help us with, help us with our accessibility problems, which isn't a fair expectation to put on someone with disabilities. Not every person with disabilities wants to solve the accessibility problems in the world. Most of us just want to do our jobs. And so by putting those additional expectations on that individual, you're not creating an environment where they can succeed and where they have the same opportunities as everyone else. Um, because accessibility is everyone's job, not just people with disabilities' job. That being said, there are absolutely strengths that I have because of my disability. I am an excellent problem solver because time after time, I've been, been put in environments where that have not been built for me. So I've got to be creative in the solutions that I come up with to find uh, problems. I also believe that uh, my disability has created more empathy for me. I believe that I am better able to understand people's challenges and where they're coming from and understand everyone's point of view when I'm dealing with really challenging human resources situations. And by understanding that and having that deep connection with people, I'm able to find a solution to these problems that really make everyone win. And I don't think that every human resources professional can say that. And it's something I'm very thankful for. Hmm. I know something I've thought a lot about over the past few years building on that is there's often this discussion about, like, oh, how can like non-disabled people include those of us who have disabilities? And I'm like, no, no, I'm like, you actually really need to be asking me what I'm doing to include you. Because I live my whole life with this expectation that everybody is different from me. And we're actually the ones who are practicing inclusion and diversity every day without even knowing it because it's just how you function. So yeah, I can see that empathy really coming coming through. And it's especially important in, in a human resources department where you are dealing with real human beings and real jobs and jobs matter. Jack, we are talking in June and we are in convocation season. I know for like when I was a student graduating, this was the most stressful time. It was the time where I was most aware of my disability and what that might mean for future employment prospects. For somebody who's listening to this, who is a disabled student about to graduate, what advice would you have for them? There's so many pieces of advice I'd love to give. I think in terms of finding employment after you graduate, one of the most important things to keep in mind is that finding a job is a numbers game. And so you may find that dream job and put together the best application in the world for that job. But so probably at least five or 10 other people and most jobs get hundreds of applications. And so what I'd encourage you to do is really think about, you know, what are your skills? What areas are your you know, top dream jobs? What are your second from the top? And what are the jobs that like would be okay and might eventually lead to a dream job? And, and look for opportunities in that area. I'd also encourage you to take advantage of resources that are available to you. There's so many organizations out there that help people with disabilities find employment. Um, and another thing I would keep in mind is look for organizations that do care about inclusion. I work for an excellent organization, uh, Microsoft, that it, you know, we are inherently inclusive in the work that we do. And there's so many things that we do to create inclusive opportunities for people. And there's lots of other organizations out there in our communities uh, where you can find those opportunities. So uh, prioritize opportunities at organizations that are committed to inclusion. Yeah, it's an interesting nuance there, because on one hand, you're saying like, no, you don't need to 
necessarily apply for the accessibility role if you don't want to work in accessibility that's fine but keep accessibility in mind when you're picking a potential employer the same way you would keep it in mind if you're looking for a place to live or looking for a place to go to school anything like that exactly you're going to have a better experience where you're better able to show your capability in an environment where an employer has taken that initiative to to be more accessible, to be more inclusive. No, no employer is 100% inclusive or accessible. And I don't believe that any employer can be 100% accessible or inclusive. But I believe that there's employers who are further along on their journey, and those places will be a better place to grow in your career. Now, I asked you what advice you would give to the general population who's listening to this. If you could go back in time and talk to yourself when you were getting ready to graduate, what would you tell Jack? You know, I was really fortunate when I graduated university that I implemented the advice I just shared and I I had a job lined up. And so I think the advice that I would have given myself just as I was going through that process is to just take a breath and realize that it's, it's going to be all right. It's, it's going to work out. You're going to have hard days. You're going to have, you know, need to rely on your support network. But if you just, you know, take one step at a time, it's going to work out. And, you know, it's, it's been a journey to get to where I am today. And I'm very thankful to be where I am today. But uh, yeah, it definitely has had its challenges. And a lot of your volunteer work did happen at Wilford Leroy University where you went. Like you helped found a, a club that was all about vision loss and connecting students uh, who had that experience. So I have a very Laurier-specific question for you because I also am a Golden Hawk. I went to the Brantford campus. It's okay. We can still talk. But one (laughs) of the things that I think makes the Brantford campus different from and in some ways better than the Waterloo campus is Brantford students are allowed to walk wherever they want to in their campus buildings. Whereas our friends in Waterloo, you have a hawk that the school mascot painted on the floor of, is it the student center where the hawk is? Uh, Yeah, yeah. So I just need to know, Jack, have you ever walked on the hawk? It's a good question. Uh, It's a very sacred hawk that uh, cannot be stepped on. I actually trained my guide dog that I had at Lor- when I was at Laurier to walk around the hawk because I could not be the person stepping on it. No, seriously. So how did that work? Like paint the picture first. How did you do that training? So I went to like where the hawk started and I was like tapping my foot on the ground and then pointing at it and was telling my dog like, no. And then when I walked walked near it, I just told him, no. And if he, if he started walking towards it, I'd stop, say no, and go again until he realized, oh, that color, I can't step on here. And I think he also, he was a super smart dog, um, noticed that other people were walking around it. So I think a few times he followed my group of friends that I was walking with and, and really uh, figured it out that way. Were you nervous that because of your visual impairment, you might accidentally walk on the hawk or did people give you the heads up? Yeah, I, I had gotten the heads up at an open house uh, before I started. So I was like, yeah, definitely, definitely can't let that happen. I'm gonna have to be cautious with my guide dog. So I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure like uh, the training may have even happened uh, before I started at school there. <laughs> that was a long time ago. So I'm, I'm, you know, a little fuzzy on the details, but I definitely did train my guide dog to walk around it. That is incredibly impressive. I feel like your guide dog should have gotten a 
honorary diploma or something. Um, you absolutely should have like guiding sciences or something like that. <laughs> right? In recognition of maintaining the uh, integrity of the hawk. Finally, Jack, we have a couple questions that we always ask guests on the show. So because the show is called Connecting Disability, we like to explore the different ways that disability can help people connect with others. But I'm also aware that sometimes disability, there's barriers that are involved with this. So right now in your life, like what are some of the most isolating things you find about having a disability? You know, I love this question so much because... It's one of the biggest challenges that comes with uh, disability. And, you know, for me, I would say the biggest thing is finding opportunities where I can socialize in an accessible and inclusive environment. You know, I, I work a busy job and I don't always have the energy to, if I want to do a class at a gym or participate in a club in the community, to phone them up and be like, hey, can you make this accessible for me? And ha go through that effort of explaining it to myself. And it'd be, it's, it'd be nice to find environments where I can just show up and know that it's going to be accessible. And I found some of those environments where I've been able to, to do that. I'm a member of a tandem cycling club. So that's somewhere I can just show up, hop on the back of the bike and have a good time. Um, I, I've joined a, a blind running club where I, I run with a sighted guide. And so, you know, some of those elements are becoming less isolating for me, but it, I wish it, be, it was more mainstream so that I could show up anywhere and know that I'd be included. Given what you just said, given the the barriers that you face, what does meaningful connection look like for you? You know, meaningful connection is being able to be in an environment where I can be myself. And I think for a long time in my life, prior to having a guide dog, I hid my disability because I could see well enough that I could. And I, I now know that I feel my best when I can show up somewhere and not worry about what people think about my disability and just be me. And I think that's something that a lot of people with disabilities struggle with is that it's okay to be you. It's okay to be different. And you just need to find those environments where you can be you and be accepted for all that you are. Well, Jack, thanks for coming on the show and, and being you. And you know, explaining how you even had your guide dog honor the time, the time honored tradition of not walking on an arbitrary place of a floor at Laurier. Thanks so much for this. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Connecting Disability is a production of AMI Audio. It's written and produced by me, Megan Gilmore, with technical production by Sam Robinson. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI Audio. Special thanks to our guest, Jack McCormick, and Go Golden Hawks. This episode is for the class of 2022. You all deserve extra credit for the crazy ride the last few years have been for school. But special congratulations go to faithful listener of the show and my friend Tamara Hiscock, who recently completed a long journey to college graduation. I'm so proud of you. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll connect next time.